We begin tonight with breaking news on just how unhinged the final days of the last administration were and how much worse they might have gotten. We have some examples which are just now coming to light. America's top military commander comparing then-President Trump's rhetoric to Hitler's and his followers to brown shirts to Nazis. That top commander finding himself rallying subordinates to protect the peaceful transfer of authority and perhaps even head off a coup. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. Yesterday, for what feels like the first time, President Biden said out loud what millions of voters have been thinking for months. Have you no fucking shame? I added the F-bomb for emphasis as it's gotten to the point now where I'm not sure we're living in a rational society. In America, if you lose, you accept the results. You follow the Constitution. You try again. You don't call facts fake and then try to bring down the American experiment just because you're unhappy. That's not statesmanship. That's not statesmanship. That's selfishness. If we were, then after the events of January 6th, Donald Trump would have been barred from ever holding office again and would remain a dark brown shit stain on the collective pants of the GOP. No one would pretend the event never happened or played it down or try to spin the moment into something positive for fear of being in league with a seditious, violent plot to overthrow the election A fucking coup, folks. For make no mistake, bullies and merchants of fear, peddlers of lies are threatening the very foundation of our country. It gives me no pleasure to say this. I never thought in my entire career I'd ever have to say it. Instead, we are living in a mass hallucination, a hall of mirrors where the GOP has lied and distorted what happened and embraced a fucking dictator who continues to push the absurd delusion that he won a second term. Every time the media references the election hoax, They say the fraud is unproven. And while there is no evidence, no evidence, no evidence. There's so much evidence. You saw what happened in Georgia the other day. They found 35,000 votes. Then they deleted in Georgia over 100,000 votes. I said, because they were so bad voters. I said, why didn't you try doing it before the election? Lost by this much. Why didn't you do it before the election? There's bad things going on in this country. Not only that, to even remain viable in the Republican Party, it has become de rigueur for those schmucks who whitewashed what happened. Imbeciles like Ron Johnson picked up the mantle, claiming that he never feared for his life because the rioters were comprised of people who love this country. I knew those are people that love this country, that... uh truly respect law enforcement, would never do anything to to break a law. Then there was shithead representative Andrew Clyde, who said out fucking loud that the violent scene that exploded at the Capitol on January 6th looked like a normal tourist visit. But last Sunday, when Trump took to the stage at CPAC, my fucking brain exploded as he took the gaslighting and bullshit to the next level, rebranding the insurrection, this failed coup to overturn the election, which left five people dead and more than 100 police officers injured as a peaceful gathering of patriots who were justified in their actions. They think that we'll just sit there and take it like good little boys 
that we won't werewolf and go wild. I have watched with disbelief since January 6th while Trump and his most ardent supporters have tried to memory hole what happened and slowly shift the narrative from it being an unfortunate incident to something akin to Woodstock for conservatives. What happened that day from your standpoint, Fox Business anchor Maria Bartiroma asked Trump, who responded by saying that the stop and steal rally that preceded the insurrection had been called by patriots who were merely demonstrating spirit and faith and love. Love. There was such love at that rally. You had over a million people there. They were there for one reason, the rigged election. They felt the election was rigged. That's why they were there. And they were peaceful people. These were great people. The crowd was unbelievable. And I mentioned the word love, the love, the love in the air. I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, that's why they went to Washington. Then he described one of the people who broke into the Capitol, Ashley Babbitt, as an innocent, wonderful, incredible woman before suggesting that her being shot was an inside job by Democrats and possibly someone working for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Who shot Ashley Babbitt? Why are they keeping that secret? Who was the person that shot an, an innocent, wonderful, incredible woman, a military woman, right in the head? And there's no repercussions. If that were on the other side, it would be the biggest story in this country. Who shot Ashley Babbitt? Earlier in the interview, Trump also claimed that Nancy Pelosi was in part to blame for what transpired on January 6th, having supposedly ignored his call to have 10,000 National Guardsmen standing by. Unsurprisingly, everything Trump said during the interview was 100% fucking bullshit including the Whopper tying Schumer to some kind of cover-up around Babbitt's death. So I've heard that. I will tell you they know who shot Ashley Babbitt. They're protecting that person. I've heard also that it was the head of security for a certain high official, a Democrat. And we'll see, because it's going to come out. According to NBC's News' Tom Winter, the officer who shot Babbitt was not a part of a specific security detail to a member of Congress per a senior law enforcement official and was most likely part of Vice President Mike Pence's detail. But what's even more frightening is this latest attempt by Trump to rewrite what happened that day and cast himself as his most lunatic supporters as the ones who were wronged. Jonathan Chait wrote of this last week in New York Magazine after Trump began his all-out campaign to turn Babbitt into a MAGA martyr. MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. Trump has slowly turned January 6th from a black mark that was threatened to expunge him from Republican politics to a regrettable episode that his allies preferred to leave behind to a glorious uprising behind which he could rally his ardent supporters. The anti-anti-Trump right has dismissed the insurrection as overblown, a protest march gone bad, perhaps ill-considered, but never posing any serious threat to the public. The far right's highlighting of Babbitt's death sends a different message. The insurrection was good. Babbitt's effort to penetrate the defensive barrier was brave, and the stopping of her charge a crime. By throwing himself behind this message, Trump is endorsing the most radical interpretation of his presidency. 
January 6th was not a minor misstep after a successful era, as fans like Mike Pence and Lindsey Graham now say. It was the heroic culmination of a righteous uprising. Of it, that rally, and they were peaceful people. These were great people. The crowd was unbelievable, and I mentioned the word love. The love, the love in the air. I've never seen anything like it. You have people with no guns that walk down. And frankly, the doors were open, but there was also a love fest between the police, the Capitol Police, and the people that walked down to the Capitol. People who walked with no guns, with no nothing, and they're tremendous, in many cases, tremendous people. Tremendous people. I cannot emphasize enough how dangerous a message this is to send his already delusional and fucking unstable followers. Trump is far from done, though. I have said before how a wounded Trump is a dangerous Trump, and now we are seeing that manifest in his public statements. I don't need to recount to you the ways in which Trump is under siege. Sure, his business is crumbling, and he might very well go to prison. Even his once-packed rallies have become boring sideshows. So, like any showman, he's taking things to their most extreme and appealing to the most extreme of his base because that's all that he has left. As Mitch McConnell said in his floor speech on February 13th, Trump loved this. He loved what happened on January 6th because it was all about him. These people were fighting for him. They were fighting against democracy and against free elections, to be sure. But they were fighting for him, and that's what he cares about. And he's gone right back to that. He's continuing to lie about the election, lying about the crowd size. He's now back. You know, there's no remorse. And there was never any remorse. He's out there on the loose now. He's created basically this cultish, you know, adherence to the big lie. David Frum, writing in The Atlantic this week, spelled out how this is nothing less than Trump and the GOP embracing a new kind of fascism. Even in 2017, when he caused so much uproar after refusing to condemn the deadly racist attacks in Charlottesville, saying that there were fine people on both sides, spreading the blame equally amongst the right and the left, he did not dare to go so far as to praise the far-right elements that weekend. From rights, whatever he felt in his heart, he was constrained by certain political and practical realities. His non-Twitter actions as president were filtered through bureaucracies. He had to work with Republican congressional allies who worried about losing seats in Congress in the next election. He himself was still basking in the illusion of the supposedly huge victory in 2016 and hoping for a repeat in 2020. Outright endorsement of lethal extremism? That was too much for Trump in 2017. But now look where we are. We will never give up our search for truth and justice for what happened in the corrupt presidential election of 2020 because without that truth, we cannot have an honest election in 2022 or 2024, no matter what they want to tell In the first days after the January 6th attack on the Capitol, Trump supporters distanced themselves from its excesses. The attack had nothing to do with Trump, they argued. He had urged only a peaceful demonstration. If anybody did any harm, that person was a concealed agent of Antifa. But in the months since, the mood has shifted. 
Once repudiated, the attacks are now accepted, condoned, and even endorsed. Because dictatorial socialists want to cancel America. We have to fight back to protect our country's greatness. They are attacking the foundational principles that have combined to give us the greatest nation in world history, to give us who we are. They attack our republic by engaging in unparalleled voter fraud and election theft activities. They attack our First Amendment freedom of speech with censorship from big tech, with the cancel culture, with speech suppression by government activities. They attack freedom of religion. Their view of religion is you can worship in church, but once you open those doors and exit, you can no longer have your religious values. That is not freedom of religion. You have the right to live your religion 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but that's not what the dictatorial socialists are insisting, and that's not how they're changing America. In the past few days, leading pro-Trump figures and even non-Trump conservative figures have endorsed a startling Twitter thread by a previously boutique podcaster, Daryl Cooper. Tucker Carlson read the thread aloud on his show. In the end, Daryl Cooper writes, not every theory about election fraud is true, but Trump's voters, quote, are absolutely right that their government is monopolized by a regime that believes they are beneath representation and will observe no limits to keep them getting it. End quote. That is true and every honest person knows it. The thread argued that the January 6th protesters were right to believe that they had been cheated out of power they deserved. They were right to believe that the government and the law were conspiring against them. They were right to believe that their opponents were capable of anything, even assassinating Trump. The implication? They themselves were equally entitled to go just as far. It shows the real danger that we're in even though that the fence is coming down, I think in August there has to be increased vigilance. The president, former president, the former occupant of the White House keeps repeating false information that he will be reinstated. When that doesn't happen, because there is no way that it can, there is no legal or even fantastical way that it could happen, there will be people who will be disappointed because the people who listen to news from unverified sources or listen to it on Fox and OAN and Newsmax believe that this is true. And they may react to it in the same way they reacted to his uh, urgings on January 6th and just before January 6th, and we could have another insurrection. What we now have is Trump granting his most lunatic supporters a license to commit violence in his name. Sure, like everything else he does, it was oblique in its excitement. But he is leading them to water, that's for sure. And the coming months may prove to be the most violent and frightening we have yet to know. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is one of the leading progressive voices working today. 
David Pakman's eponymous show, first broadcast once a week in Northampton, Massachusetts Community Radio, has now grown to become a mammoth, nationally syndicated series reaching millions of listeners and is broadcast on both Dish and DirecTV. In addition, his YouTube channel airs daily content and boasts close to 1.4 million subscribers, generating over 900 million views. On any given day, he can be seen dissecting the gross negligence of the GOP, analyzing Trump's CPAC horror show, or discussing how the Biden administration should respond. In addition, he has become a favorite punching bag of Joe Rogan, who has sparred with Pac-Man of his own podcast a number of times. The show features some of the most extreme personalities on the right in the hopes of exposing their views and has become appointment viewing for progressives seeking to fight back against the current authoritarian push. He joins me today on Mea Culpa at a perilous time for our democracy as Donald Trump has shifted into his most extreme iteration with the GOP gleefully following him down the rabbit hole. So let's listen now to that conversation. So yesterday, in a rare address about the 2020 election, President Biden said, and I quote, In America, if you lose, you accept the results, you follow the Constitution, you don't call facts fake, and then try to bring down the American system just because you're unhappy. That's not statesmanship. That's selfishness. At this point, what can or should Biden do to stop Trump from continuing to tear apart his presidency and the country with his lies about the election? Well, the reality is anything he does is going to be attacked. And uh, so the most important thing is what can he do to just ensure that in 2022 and in 2024, uh, the actual winners are the people who are announced as the winners and ultimately hold the offices that they won. Um, any Anything Joe Biden does is going to be attacked as an infringement on free speech. It's going to be attacked as an attack on the election system itself, because everything's backwards, right? If you If you want to defend the system so that just Anybody who can vote can vote. The narrative right now from the people that are remaining around Trump, and it's not everybody who was originally around him, but there, there still are, are some, um, is that no, no, the fight for electoral integrity is on the side of those who say that it's the former president that won. So the best thing Joe Biden could do is what can he do federally to prevent the bills like the one that now is being uh, pushed in Texas from becoming law uh, and in so many other states. And there's a real question as to whether on, on the federal level you can get that done. Well, you know, you're right. There are very few people that are around him today, especially in comparison to when he was president. For example, Rudy is no longer around there. And as we saw, the press announced the other day that it was Rudy that was actually telling Trump. And it doesn't shock me because Rudy's a fucking moron. He's actually sitting there and trying to placate Trump. And during election night, after they told him that the beginning, you're going to come out strong, because as we all know, Republicans go to the ballot, um, you know, to the, um, you know, to the ballot uh, box. And the Democrats tend to use um, mail-in ballots substantially in greater number. And so Rudy's comment is just declare yourself the winner. Just each and every state, just declare yourself the winner before the press announces it or before the media announces it, as if that was going to actually change 
the results. So, yeah, we don't have that same group about him, but the people that are still there, and we're talking about the, you know, the Corey Lewandowski's, the Dave Bossies, you're talking about, uh, what's the other idiot's name, um, uh, Jason Miller, right? These individuals that are sitting there, still surrounding him, are still playing to his fragile ego, which is that you lost the election six months ago. Get the fuck over it already, right? <laughs> Move on. Well, what I don't understand is the report that you know revealed this whole thing of Rudy saying, what, a supposedly drunk Rudy saying, just go out and say you won, which is ultimately what Trump did. The report from the book is that people like Jason Miller and Bill Stepien and Mark Meadows at the time said, you can't do that. But later they they seem to just fall in line with it. And I'm trying to understand what the dynamics are. Are they just captive? Like once once you do that at 2 a.m., then they have to go with it because they as far as the report is, they were saying don't do that originally. Well, and they probably did say it. Now, look, I have zero regard for either Stepien or Meadows, especially Meadows, who I just find to be a despicable human being. Um, one of the problems is you don't want to fight with Trump. I've been in the room. I've been in that situation. You just don't want to fight with him. So you will tell him something that you know to be right, something that you know is Respond, is responsible for the position that you hold. And yet once he tells you no, well, now what are you going to do? You're going to fight with somebody who's like a five-year-old in a, in a grown man's body right, who's going to sit there and attack you in front of everybody? You just don't want to do it. And so you say, listen, you know what? If this asshole wants to make these sort of ridiculous statements, you know, it's on him. It's not on me. I did my job. I warned him. You know, it goes back to that old expression. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink. That's Donald Trump. You could take his fucking head and shove it into the water, right? But he won't drink. And he is as stubborn as a mule. So what do you do? You just say, okay. And then you step away and you let him do whatever it is that he wants. It's the only one statement that Lewandowski used to say that I actually agree with again and again and again. And that is, let Trump be Trump. Because you can't stop him. It's not like Corey was letting him be himself. You just can't stop him. That's the problem when you're dealing with a narcissistic sociopath. When you were advising him as a lawyer, like, did it even matter that you're the guy that knows the law? Or is that completely secondary to just whatever it is that he wants to see as the outcome? Well, is it any different than the fact that he knows more than his generals about war? <laughs> he knows more than the scientists when it came to the coronavirus, than experts like Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks, right? Epidemiologists that have degrees that actually know what they're talking about. Versus a guy who's basically, you know, coming from his, you know, from his gut reaction, who has never read a book in his life. So the answer is it makes no difference if you're a lawyer or you're not. If you answer the way he wants you to answer, you're the guy who's right. If you answer contrary, how many fights I've had with that man over things that he was doing wrong. And, you know, it got to a point that, he accepted my response, whether it was in favor of what he was looking to do or contrary, but he still always did what he wanted to do. Very, very rare. Now, we also talked about, you know, what can Joe Biden do? 
right now to stop this wave of, you know, Trumpism, to stop the nonsense that's going on with the continuation of the misinformation and the disinformation um, that's being put out by him uh, and his um, cohorts. And I really do believe that Merrick Garland, our attorney general, has an obligation to start to impanel special counsels on a regular basis. I don't care if he, if he creates a special counsel every day for the next 60, 90, 120 days until such time as Trump's individuals and Trump and his kids and others are all held responsible because I think the American people are entitled to an answer. And we just don't get it. It's almost like, okay, he's out of office. Let's just all forget the last four years and move on. But you can't because, you know, it's like the remnants of a fart. It just lingers there and it just doesn't go away. So you need to you need to Febreze that shit. Well, this is where I think Republicans are just so much more ruthless and and shrewd than Democrats have ever been because, you know, look at the number of Benghazi hearings with Hillary Clinton and look at what ha- I mean, you know, you could go back to Bill Clinton in the 90s, look at the Obama, which the Obama quote scandals, which were not even real scandals, and they are shrewdly ruthless or ruthlessly shrewd. And there is a sort of uh, complacency that I think is already pointing to a, a, a not good situation in 22 and 24, where, hey, you know what? It is tough to remove an incumbent. And it was done. Trump got four years and he was removed. But too many people are already satisfied with that. And I do think that, how do you justify not doing the January 6th commission as originally envisioned? I know it's looking like there's going to be something done, but not what was what if this was reversed, they would do four years of hearings. There's no even iota of a doubt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they would be shredding the Democrats every single day. They would be at least 100 open investigations. You would have Mitch McConnell <laughs> screaming from the bully pulpit every single day about what Hillary Clinton is doing or what whoever the Democrat, Joe Biden, is doing if it was reversed. And would he be justified? Absolutely he'd be justified. The American people, your employers, have a right to know what the fuck went on. And we don't. And we're more confused today than we were back then. And that's an unfair thing to put us through. And what happens is then you have the media and they're creating their own narrative, you know, because they're trying to stay ahead of the bloggers and that everybody's now fighting and competing for information. And then instead of getting actual facts, you're just getting innuendo. Well, I think you don't know. You have no idea what's going on. You actually have no baseline within which to formulate a response other than the fact that you're just either regurgitating what somebody else had said or you're just sort of imposing your own belief system. But your belief system doesn't matter when you're dealing with Trump and Trump world because you don't understand him. You don't understand how his mind works. And even the guys who were journalists that spoke to him, you know, for a book, right, or spoke to him for an article, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even last year, and they got 15, 20, 40 minutes, an hour with him. You can't understand him. He's guarded when he's talking to press. It's another thing when you're sitting across from him day in and day out for a decade and a half, 
and you really fully understand him and the machinations of the Trump organization. The books that are the unauthorized, you know, the ones that are not based on interviews with him, like we talked about this, there's this, uh, frankly, I did win, we did win this election that's coming out. And there's another book from uh, Lenig and, and Philip Rucker from the Washington Post. The the uh, the apparatus of Trump just immediately says all the anecdotes are fake. It's all made up. It's anonymous sources. You, you can't believe any of it, which is totally predictable. But as someone who knew the guy, is any of the stuff that gets reported in those books implausible? Yeah, yeah. In in some of them, I mean, there were a couple of books. I don't want to specifically state which one because I would be shitting on the author right on this program, and it's not yeah. really right. I'd rather get him or her onto the program and ask them where they got that information from and yeah. sort of um, contradict it. But so much of this stuff is, well, yeah, I was in the room when he said, no, you weren't. No, you weren't, because that's not how he even speaks. And that's not what mm. he would do. You see, Donald Trump is actually much easier to understand. I talk a lot about it in my own book. He's very easy to understand if you understand him, if you speak his fucked up language, right? Then it's easy to understand what he's thinking, what he wants to do, what he will do. Because Donald Trump is a very myopic individual. There's not this great range of thought process. He's like history. It'll repeat itself. So if Donald Trump, for example, has a steak on Monday, chances are on Tuesday he's going to have the same steak and potatoes. Or he'll make a derivative. He'll get a hamburger. Right. But he's very easy to understand. Like, for example, you'll never see him eat a piece of fish. Right. It's just not in his repertoire. He doesn't eat fish for whatever his reasons may be. So if they write in a book that, yeah, we were having dinner and Donald was eating a piece of salmon. No, 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 Donald doesn't eat salmon. So it's those details that signal to you as a guy who was around him for so long that some of the stuff is not plausible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a shame because... That lack of accuracy is what Trump uses in order to continue promoting fake news concepts. The fact that the media is disingenuous. This is all against him. It's part of the witch hunt. And in many cases, the media is wrong. They just happen to be wrong. They either didn't fact check properly, you know, like all the people who wrote about me being in Prague. Right. I've never right. been to Prague. And so Trump will use something like that to say she's fake news. He's fake news. They got it wrong saying that Cohen was in Prague and he paid 10 million in cash to compromise off of that bullshit <laughs> steel dossier. And he'll use that on something that's absolutely 100 percent accurate. And not only is it accurate because we know it to be accurate, we saw it, we heard it. But he will still fight it using an argument. And then there's this populace, this group of American Americans, 74 million, uh, right, that voted for him. And then that 25 percent of the Republican Party that believe every word he says, no matter how ridiculous, how stupid, how absolutely, you know, inaccurate it is. For example, let me give you a quick example on this one. You know, he's making allegations or he had made allegations that the voice, when he said, grab him by the pussy, when he was um, <laughs> on the bus with Billy Bush, there was a time he was trying to make the allegation that it wasn't his voice, that they dubbed it. was doctored. It. That's right. It was doctored and so on. Now, we all know that it wasn't, right? But because 
fake news, had misreported something, he could then use that as the stepping stone as proof that this must be doctored because I never said it. Did you ever figure out with the Prague thing, like at one point there was the possibility that there was just another guy named Michael Cohen who did that thing. And that at another point, the hypothesis was, you know, if, if you went, but you didn't clear customs, technically you weren't in Prague in a legal sense. Like there were all these different things. Do you know how that ended up being a story? No. Um, I mean, I know that there were people like this Louise Mensch, as an example, yeah. she wrote that, um, I must have another passport like an Israeli passport because I'm a Jew. So not only not only is that not only is it offensive, right? It's also inaccurate. I don't have an Israeli passport. In fact, I've never been to Israel. I intend on going when I'm off home confinement. It would be the first trip in my life to the Middle East. So the notion that I have another passport, the notion that I got to Germany somehow um, and then walked to Prague. I mean, I, I don't I don't know. There, there is no answer. You know. And I used to say to the reporters that would call me on it, you can never disprove a negative, right? So I can't prove to you, you know, that you're inaccurate if you just keep wanting the inaccuracy to be the story. And it's, it just doesn't work. After a year unlike any other, we all deserve some summer fun. But be on the lookout for new travel scams designed by cybercriminals to steal your identity. Help protect yourself online by being mindful of online ads, independently verified deals with the company, and don't rush into giving away info on suspicious websites. You put your information in so many places online. Unfortunately, cybercriminals around the world keep finding new ways to steal identities. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security helps block cybercriminals from stealing your personal information. VPN with bank-grade encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock identity theft protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. But, you know, David, let me ask you this. In a recent phone interview with Fox News' Maria Bartiroma, Trump delivered his most forceful support of the January 6th riots to date in what was an extraordinary set of lies, even for him, right? Trump laid out what amounts to a pivot towards his most extreme followers. The ex-president praised um, Ashley Babbitt, the woman slain as she attempted to crash through the door that protected members of Congress from the mob that had now invaded the Capitol. Innocent, wonderful, incredible woman, right? So that's, that's what he said. And then he, you know, he praised the insurrectionist throng, great people. Then on top of that, he denounced their arrest and jailing as being unjust. Now, he also then implied that Babbitt had been shot by the personal security detail of a leading member of Congress. 
And I think he said, I've heard also that it was the head of security for a certain high official, a Democrat. It's going to come out. Discuss with me, if you would, these statements or at least the tenor of these statements and what they mean to you. Yeah, it's extremely dangerous. I think even later in that same interview, Chuck Schumer's name was floated and everybody was sort of noncommittal. I think Maria Bartiromo said she heard it and Trump Trump didn't really comment on that. Extraordinarily dangerous. But also think about the hypocrisy where we have had for years situations where there's a police interaction with someone suspected maybe of having committed a crime or there was just a 911 call and it's not even clear there was a crime and they get beaten or even in some cases killed by police. And very often the refrain is, well, even having been there was wrong. They shouldn't even have been there. They never would have interacted with police and thus it never would have happened. Ashley Babbitt was trespassing already. This is the exact argument that they typically make when the situation is reversed. She could have avoided any interaction with police just by staying home that day. She didn't have to go to Washington. Now, it's still a tragedy that she died. I wish that she hadn't, but an investigation was done into the incident. There was not wrongdoing found. And if the situation were reversed, the very same people would be saying, we've got to stand by law enforcement. It was investigated. There was no wrongdoing found. And the police that were there were in harm's way. We have to defer to their assessment of when force has to be used. I mean, it's just pathetically hypocritical. Well, that's Donald Trump. That's his middle name, hypocrite, because he fucking lies like you breathe. And I say that all the time, and I mean it. For example, you may remember years ago when he claimed that he was sending an entire, or that he had sent an entire investigative team to Hawaii, and that they found out information on Obama's birth, and just wait till, <laughs> right. just wait till that info comes out. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Just wait. What he's doing is he's playing with the public because he doesn't believe that the American people have longer than a one to two week memory span. And sadly, most of these followers do not. And they forget that he even brought it up. But here's the truth about that. He never sent anybody to Hawaii. There were no investigators. There was no information. But he tries to change the... He tries to change the narrative by imposing his own set of facts, repeating them over and over again, and getting morons like Maria Bartiroma to repeat the same shit as Sean Hannity or fucking Tucker Carlson or any of the other bunch of, you know, white supremacists to continue to promote this ongoing continuous lie. And then ultimately, people start to believe it. And then they start to repeat it. And they repeat it so often that their friends start to repeat it. And that's the misinformation campaign of Donald Trump. But what I also found to be amazing is that Trump actually wanted to call for the name of the officer who was involved in the shooting. And I want people to start to think about why he's doing that. Because what it does is it then creates chaos And that's how Donald Trump thrives. He thrives on chaos. You cannot be looking at me, my company, Alan Weisselberg, Rudy Giuliani, Ivanka, Don, Eric, Kushner. You can't be looking at any Matt Gates, right? Um, Josh Hawley, you know, you name it. You can't be looking at any of these people because right now all we need to concentrate is on that wonderful, beautiful person who was shot in the face and killed by a you know, by security for a top leading Democrat. And we should know who that person is. 
Could you imagine that this is what this guy wants to do? And yet, this is also, here comes another big lie by Donald, right? He's pro-police. He's pro-police. How do you respond to something like this? Yeah, it's the pro-police story and then the pro-troop story. But really what it is, is the way I now see it is, it's we're in favor of the institution of law enforcement as a way to wield power, or we're in favor of the military as an institution to do our foreign policy. But the individual troops who come back and have PTSD and we don't even give them access to good health care, that's not really what it means to, to be in favor of the troops, right? In favor of the troops has a very narrow meaning, which is you allow a Republican president to send them wherever they want to send them in order to accomplish geopolitical goals. It's not about the individual troops. And similarly, it's not about the individual police officers. It's about the police officers as an apparatus to wield power and achieve political gain, whether it's clearing a plaza for a photo op or, or whatever the case may be. You just have to – he supports the troops – and the, and the law enforcement only insofar as the institutions are useful to the political goals. Only as it's useful to him and his benefit. To his political goals, Correct. right. Correct. Yeah. Which is nothing more than what he was doing while watching the insurrection on January 6th. That was Donald Trump's paramilitary. That was his ability to be reinstated as not president of the United States, but authoritarian um, ruler, as the supreme ruler of this country, that he was going to stop the the certification of Joe Biden as president and be reinstated. This is the nuttiness that was going on inside of the brain of Donald Trump because some idiot told him that this could possibly happen. And I'll suspect that it was Rudy, right? I really do. I believe it was probably Rudy that came up with this nonsense. And it's possible that they, you know, the hair dye somehow seeped into his skin and affected his brain, that the synapses, you know, weren't really firing. The acetylcholine wasn't, you know, wasn't snapping from synapse to synapse. And he came up with this cockamamie bullshit idea. But he creates a real danger to this country because even the fact that it's absurd, they still decided to do it. Hey, I will see you at the Capitol. No, you won't. Because he's a chicken shit who went running back to the White House for the sole purpose of watching it on television. And now he wants to use the death of Ashley Babbitt. And I'm with you on this one. No one should have died that day. But they should not have also stormed. Nobody should have been storming the Capitol. And you put yourself into a dangerous situation. And I'm really sorry for, you know, for, for her and for her family. It's just a loss of life for a ridiculous, ridiculous goal that could never have been achieved. So I don't understand it. And I'm, I really am. I'm, I, I hate to see anybody lose their life over stupidity. But that death is not on the hands, as far as I'm concerned, of the police officer that was protecting the door, you know, to where the members of Congress were. I blame Trump for it. I blame Rudy for it. I blame Don Jr. and everybody else that gave a stupid, impassioned speech about this is our country. We have to take it back. We need to fight, fight like hell, right? I'll see you at the Capitol. It's on their hands, not on the police officer. But the sentiment that's coming from Trump and commentators like Tucker Carlson and Mo Brooks is that all their anger and violence was justified. 
This one really blows me away. Right? They're arguing that the January 6th protesters were right to believe that they had been cheated out of power that they deserved. Now, they were right to believe that the government and the law were conspiring against them. This is what they believe, right? You know, that they were right to believe that the government and the law were conspiring um, against them, that they were right to believe that their opponents were um, capable of doing anything, even assassinating Trump. The implication? They themselves were equally entitled to just as far, right? To um, To just go as far as that they wanted. Now, with such a message being broadcast, should we be worried that Trump is setting the stage for more violence, whether it's in 2022 or in 2024, specifically 2024? And what point is there a legal obligation to stop what's happening with these sedition charges? Yeah, I, I'm worried not only about 22 and 24, but I mean, look at how much discussion there's been of August over the last few few months and and whatever the expectation is among the followers for, for August as well. I don't want to be hyperbolic and say I think there's imminently going to be some riot. I don't I don't think that. But I think January 6th proves that these are people that are willing to do things in the real world. They're clearly willing to take what they do on Twitter and wherever else and and push it into the real world. So it it has to be taken seriously. Now 22 or 24 or what will be the trigger I don't know you know you've got this this Mike Pillow guy Mike Lindell from My Pillow who's going around and fomenting a lot of this stuff and saying we're ju- we're on the verge we're we're like right there we're about to do it and and it's all going to happen and when that doesn't happen you know if if you fall for that in the first place you're likely to be very angry when it doesn't happen and then all bets are off in terms of what people are willing to do my hope is Michael that they're so unorganized that they just won't be able to put it together because I think there's every desire among you only need a few thousand people to do real damage and to wreak real havoc. I think the desire is there. I'm hoping they're just not organized enough to get it done. And the saddest part is you actually hit the nail right on the head. We, we cannot just hope and pray that this doesn't happen. And when it does, people start putting up the emoji of their hands together. You know, my thoughts and prayers are with you. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. It, it really doesn't work that way. And I believe that Joe Biden's administration, including the FBI and the Secret Service, our law enforcement, who I praise all the time on the show, because despite even what had happened with me, I have nothing but respect for law enforcement, for anyone that puts on the uniform. And I don't just mean military. I don't just mean, you know, um, Secret Service, FBI. I'm talking about all, all uniform, firefighters, police officers, you name it. And I believe that they are not just going to hope that nothing happens. I believe that they are already formulating, if not already have, a plan in order to ensure that this bullshit doesn't happen again, not in August, not in 2022, and certainly not in 2024. And I don't believe that um, nothing is going to happen. I believe something will happen, but I believe that our law enforcement, our intelligence agencies that are monitoring this, um, you know, very, very, very carefully, um, that they will have more information than obviously what either you or I do, and that they will put an end to this very, very quickly. They will not allow what happened on January 6th 
to happen again under Biden's watch. But you're right. What happens when you have 2,000, 5,000, about 50,000 people getting together, armed and dangerous and willing, willing to sacrifice themselves for the supreme leader? That's what Donald Trump wants. You know, the best way to become a dictator is you stifle somebody's First Amendment rights, right? And then you bring in the military to take control of the government, or in this case, a paramilitary, a group of idiots running around with Trump, you know, flags and, you know, MAGA flags and the Make America Great Again, you know, paraphernalia. That's really the dangerous part. Now, speaking just quickly about August, I personally don't believe anything's going to happen in August. Simply, of course not. Right. And mostly because D.C. is closed in August. Congress isn't even in session. So even if he was to be somehow, right, the miracle of God that he gets reinstated as president, you can't even do it properly because Congress isn't even in session. So it was just the <laughs> wrong month for them to have picked. They should have said July. They should have said September. But they picked the worst month because nobody's even there within which to reinstate him as president. It's crazy. Speaking, by the way, I, I, if this is a tangent we don't want to go down, then we, let's not go down it. But because you mentioned if by the, by the grace of God, Trump is reinstated. The anti-Semitism stuff, right? The people who say... Trump's obviously not an anti-Semitic guy. His daughter converted to Judaism. His grandkids are Jewish. His son-in-law, who's Jewish, is in this position of privilege in the administration and all of this different stuff. It, it, to me, that is meaningless. I mean, there's everything from anti-Semitism to philo-Semitism to people like the Saudis who want to do business with Jews because they think they're clever, which is still based on the same anti-Semitic tropes. What, what's like the truth about per Trump's personal view on, on that? Donald Trump doesn't care if you're Jewish, Christian, but he does care if you're Muslim. He, he believes that all Muslims are actually Islamic terrorists. That's, huh. that's in his mind. But Judaism, Catholicism, you know, he doesn't care. And why? Because he has no religious conviction of his own. So the fact that Ivanka, would he prefer her not to have married a Jew? Eh, maybe yes, maybe no. He didn't really care because he has never himself been to church Except for the one time that he was confirmed, which is the picture that he shows, you know, all the time. Right. Uh, and as he's you know, holding the Bible, he doesn't know the Bible. He doesn't understand, you know, the meaning of religion. He's, he's never sat for a sermon or for mass. Right. He just hasn't. And again, he has no religious conviction. And all you have to do is just recall when they asked him one time, you know, if you were to apologize or if you were to go into confession, right, for a mistake, you know, what would that mistake have been? I don't, I, there's no need for me to, you know, to go to confession or to, you know, uh, to apologize to God. I've never made a mistake. This is a man who is incapable of understanding anything other than himself, his personal wishes and his personal wants, because he's ignorant, he's arrogant, and he's just stupid. He's just plain stupid, and he believes in nothing other than himself. The world starts and ends with him. Now, you know, David, let me just jump back into this. In Philip Rucker and Carol Lennig's upcoming book, I Alone Can Fix It, they show the genesis of the big lie, having come from an allegedly drunken Rudy Giuliani, encouraging Trump to just go and claim the victory, regardless of the vote tally at the time. That's what I was talking about, you know, early on in, this, in the show. 
Now, even after Arizona was called for Biden, he still encouraged Trump to just go declare victory right now. Now, according to the book, Mark Meadows, as you stated, was vehemently um, against Rudy's plan. What do you think actually changed in Mark Meadows and the others who at least displayed a shred of decency before this election? I think it's just once the cat is out of the bag, their only option is either you quit or you publicly say, I don't agree with that, in which case you're fired, or you end up just going with it with the calculation that, hey, listen, maybe this will somehow work. Maybe somehow the results will end up favoring Trump and I want to continue being chief of staff or whatever. I think it's the same self-preservation that motivates Trump himself, uh, where they say, well, it it wouldn't have been my choice to start this we won stuff. But now that Trump did it, what choice do they really have other than quitting or getting themselves fired? It seems like it's not really much of a choice at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe that they had some coming to Jesus moment or some religious or, you know, or belief system that had them. I agree with you. That's that's what we were saying early on, you know, in the show when we were just chatting about it. It's um, it was all about their own preservation. And you really yeah. can't have an administration run on self-preservation versus upon what's doing right um, for not just yourself, but right for the country. But book after book on the final days of the Trump administration, we hear a constant theme, right? Adults inside the administration were on guard on election night, afraid of what Trump was willing to do to keep hold of power. Now, what I find astounding is that there were no safeguards to prevent any of this from actually happening other than relying on people's sense of duty to the country and to their position. Now, the fact that we didn't end up in a bigger crisis, I truly believe, is more luck than anything else. Discuss this with me and my listeners. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, uh, oftentimes when we think about history— we get this feeling of inevitability that it went the way it, th- it did and it was certain to go that way. In other words, the inputs that we had were inevitably going to lead to the outcomes that we had. Uh, but it's really not like that. And of sometimes seemingly irrelevant little details can, can significantly change the course of how things go. Even the 2016 election at the end of the day, it was only a few, you know, it was relatively few votes in just a few states that meant Trump was president instead of Hillary Clinton. Even in 2020, it was slightly more, but still relatively few votes in a few states that meant Trump didn't win. Um, and I think that there was a real uh, a bullet dodge to a degree, as bad as things were. The pandemic is sort of evidence of that. I mean, it's hard to imagine. It, in my birth country of Argentina, one of the worst pandemic responses in the world. But the U.S. under Trump was very, very bad. And imagine if he had one, what would have become a vaccine distribution, just to give an example. So as bad as it was, I agree that I don't know if it's luck or odds. It could have been dramatically worse. Now, you know that, David, you and I have that in common, by the way. What, what Argentina? Yeah, my grandmother um, was born in Argentina, in Argentina, Buenos Aires, just like you. That's where I was born. That's incredible. Yeah, yep. Um, that was a long time ago, and I miss her um, dearly. But yeah, I noticed that with, um, with you, that you were born in Argentina, specifically in Buenos Aires. You know, the same as mi abuela. I do want to ask you this, though, because since you brought up Argentina, which right now is really going through a world of pain as it relates to this pandemic. But there's turmoil right now all over the world, right? You turn on the television, you see what's going on in Cuba. 
You see what's going on in Haiti and in so many other places around the world, right? Donald is right now using these issues that are going on, and no, no two are actually the same, right? One was about the execution of the president in Haiti, um, and what's going on in Cuba, of course, is um, the cost of living, the fact that there's no food, there's no opportunity, and so on. So every one of these countries have various different issues that their people are contending with. But Donald is grouping them all together, and whose fault do you think it is? It's Joe Biden's I would fault. Guess- it's Joe oh, okay. Biden's I was going to say, or communists or socialists. No, no, it's all Joe Biden's fault. What are we doing? Under my administration, this never would have happened, right? This is what he's saying. And what blows my mind, for God's sakes, people, put the fucking visine in your eyes so that you can see clearly. It's just not true, right? Under his administration, Nothing would be different. The world is the world. It moved in its direction that it did. The pandemic created a problem, not just here in the United States, but across the entire globe. On top of that, Cuba has been going through its own issues. Now, of course, the pandemic is not helping, right, in order to, you know, bring food and opportunity and, uh, you know, the rise in inflation over there and Haiti. What do you think, Joe Biden sent somebody over there to kill the Haitian president? But this is what Trump does. He puts stuff out there, which in essence is true. The world right now is upside down. But the untruth is what he would have done to stop it, that this would never have happened with me. Look at what's happening now with Russia, with this new um, our evil, that, that group of hackers that somehow managed to disappear. This would never happen under my administration. I would call up Vladimir. I call Putin and tell him to stop it. Right. And his people fucking believe him. They believe him like the cult leader that he is. What do, we, what do we need to actually do in order to stop this nonsense? And now, of course, everybody, you know, looking to companies like Facebook and they're looking to companies like Google to start to do their job in helping to curb all of this misinformation, disinformation. But I don't know if that's enough. I don't know if it's enough and it's just going to be called suppression of speech, sadly, and it'll become part of the narrative of what's be, what's being done wrong. I mean, yeah, the technique is called the fire hose of falsehood. You throw a bunch of stuff out there. It all sounds overwhelming. I mean, look, Argentina's chaotic and Cuba and Haiti. Then you step back and you say, wait, Argentina was chaotic while Trump was still president. Uh, Haiti's been the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere for decades now. That didn't change at all. It didn't improve at all when Donald Trump was president. Uh, Cuba, uh, the situation in Cuba since 1959 has been close to what it is right now. And in fact, the sanctions that President Obama eased, which President Trump put back in, certainly didn't help the situation in Cuba one bit. But who's going to do that, right? I mean, Fox News isn't going to say, let's break down these four or five things, you know, add gas prices to it, uh, which we understand why they're climbing, add grocery prices. You throw it all together and it sounds like pretty convincing because that's a lot of stuff that's bad. Only if you take it piece by piece can you break it down and nobody's really taking the time to do that. You can't because he throws so much shit against the wall that you can't actually piece it apart. Right. Right. It's it's just impossible. And yes, Yes, I, I am waiting to see what this Biden administration is going to do. Let's just use Cuba as the example, the, yeah. because we can talk about each and every you know, country and what the United States needs or can do in order to help. You know, there's a whole slew of Cuban Americans in this country, and I could understand and sympathize with them when you have family members in another country that's 
literally, you know, miles from the Floridian uh, coastline, right? That th- this is this is just terrible, and there has to be a way that we can just put onto a barge, just send food over there. Let's just help them with st- let's start small. Just do something positive. I mean, we have enough food. There's billionaires that are out there that have all forms of these different political uh, offshoots of their company that they'll make donations to. Let's just send a couple of plane loads of or boatloads or cargo ships full of food just so that People will relax if their bellies are full. Let's just stop the violence and stop the military attacking the people. There are so many things that the president can do and work with work with private industry. I mean, they have these, you know, they, they have money that's set aside in order to do this. I mean, just take like the Melinda Gates Foundation as an example. I don't buy $100 million worth of food and send it over there. Rest assured. Rest assured, it'll calm things down for a couple of days so people could start to breathe. And then you start to figure out, what else do we need to do? we got to get them vaccinations. I think the whole world needs to be vaccinated. Let's, let's finish with what we started here, and then let's move. Let's move to the next country and the next country. I mean, that's, that's who we are. That's what America is all about. We're supposed to be the country that helps everybody. That's, that's just my opinion. And I would, I would add to that also— Let's ease those Cuban sanctions that Trump put back in place, because, listen, the point since 59 was to use them to try to get them to change their government. I'm not an authoritarian, so I don't I'm not a fan of the Cuban regime, but the 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 sanctions program has failed and it's hurting the people. Let's back off of that. Can you imagine if Biden actually did something that helped the Cuban people right now? The first thing that they would say is, wait, wait, America's not bad, right? Cuban regime. You've been lying to us all these years. They're the ones that put food on our table. They're the ones that are helping us, right? Enough is enough. And maybe there's an internal change. I, I Like you, I'm not an authoritarian on it, but that just seems to be logical, you know, to me. Now, some Democrats believe that it's time to go on the offensive and force the GOP to answer for their insanity by portraying them as they are, rightly believing that the racism and the conspiratorial ranting will be a huge turnoff to suburban voters. And the more the party makes that front and center, then the better it's going to be on Election Day. Now, that said... Democratic Party orthodoxy, still sh- they still stress that kitchen sink issues like jobs and infrastructure have more impact than delving into the GOP's madness. What's your point of view on that? This is really tough. I was just talking to the political scientist, uh, Rachel Bittekoffer, about this, who's really good on this issue. The Republican Party has abandoned policy, right? If you even just look at the videos from CPAC last week, there was no economic program put forward. It was just Joe Biden's socialism would be really bad. There was no uh, um, uh, education policy put forward other than we need to ban critical race theory in school. So when they've abandoned policy, we might think, oh, Democrats just come in and they list policies and voters will just be, oh, wow, one side's talking about you know, nonsense and one side has policies, it'll be really clear. Democrats will win 22. They'll win 24. It doesn't work that way. Just doesn't work that way. The reason that these cultural issues are what the right is focusing on is because they see their followings growing. They see their donations growing. They see that it's actually winning them elections. And so I, I am sort of unclear at this point. 
if you can fight policy with better policy, that's a real clear win. If you're trying to throw policy when half the country doesn't seem to care and cares more about owning the libs and memes and calling things socialist, I have no idea how you fight against that. I have no idea either, which is why I'm asking you the question. It blows my <laughs> mind to see what's going on. Because I personally think that Bill Crystal summed up CPAC the best with his tweet yesterday. And I quote, This weekend's confederacy of dunces was a window into what conservatism has become. There was, right. of course, no pushback from anyone in the GOP. Nearly every speaker assured the CPAC attendees that they were all victims and potential martyrs. I end quote. What do you think it will take for the current GOP to abandon this suicide pact with this MAGA lunacy? They have to start losing and losing big. And what's really crazy is under this package, they did lose the House in 2018. They lost the Senate in 2020 and they lost the White House in 2020. For a lot of voters, that would be enough to say it failed. But when they say, well, in 2018, it made sense because when you win the White House in the first midterms, you always lose. So they excuse that. And then they don't really believe they lost the Senate and, and the presidency in 2020. So they go, well, we didn't even really lose there. They're not ready to abandon it yet. So I think sustained losses. I think that the MAGA people losing in 2022 will probably be damaging to the movement. And certainly if 24 implodes, but it's not it's going to be sticky because, you know, 74 million people voted for the guy and two thirds of them say, say at least two thirds say they would do it again. So they've not lost the, the will yet. Yeah, I don't know if they say the two thirds was based upon the fact that they're just staunch Republicans or that they would actually wanted to be Donald Trump. I mean, that was never really properly identified. But one thing for certain is that his base of around 28% of the Republican Party, that is his core base. Now, is that enough to win an election? No. Do I think Donald Trump's going to run again in 2024? No, for a host of different oh, reasons, really? including indictments. Oh, oh yeah, including indictments coming up, including the fact that he knows that he will lose the election again, and his ego, his fragile ego, cannot stomach another loss. And this bullshit line of it was stolen, stolen, stolen. Notice what Donald Trump always does. It's not about me. They stole it from us. That's his line to his listeners, but in his mind and in his heart, it's all about him. They stole this from me and I want it back. That's super interesting because especially in the Maria Bartiromo interview on Sunday, he seems to be using the language of a guy who's running more than he has at any point. And my instinct was that there were two things that were the most likely to keep him from running. One, his, his picks in 22 all lose and he's just powerless. He, he loses political capital that way, sees the writing on the wall and says, all my friends lost in 22. It's not looking good for me in 24. The other thing would be that his health is just not suitable to running a, a campaign. But you think it's just it's not going to happen for other reasons? Yeah, for other reasons. One, I believe that the district attorney uh, here in New York, as well as the attorney general, Tish James, I believe that indictments, additional indictments are on their way, superseding indictments as well. Um, I also believe that the American people have had enough. I really do. Now, that base of 
appears to me to be dwindling. And you know that it is. Unfortunately, not fast enough for all of us. You know, it's a problem that I like to term as Googleized, right? We all want things instantaneous. We want our information on this spot. We want, you know, we want our deliveries through Amazon on the spot, right? This is, this is what we've become. We've become this instant gratification society. And that doesn't happen with justice. But rest assured, he, his eponymous company, his kids, so many people around him are all going to face the court system, right? That's my, that's my opinion. And that's just the start of it. You know, I also, as I stated before, his ego, his fragile ego will not allow him to accept another loss. Right now, as he speaks and as he's talking about running again and sort of floating the idea, that's all just part of the grift. That's the money grift. And he's so fucking good at it. You can't, I'm telling you, David, there is nobody better at grifting money than Donald Trump. He has perfected it, right? He really has. He has perfected it as far as a politician is concerned. But I do want to ask you this, David. In a July 12th tweet, you actually wrote, it's still legal to discriminate against people based upon sexual orientation and gender identity in 20 plus states. But suddenly, Republicans want to protect anti-vaxxers in the same way race and religion are protected. What a country. Now, if you would discuss with me what it is in the makeup of the GOP that has created this outright hostility towards vaccination, or do they just see a winning political issue to rally their base and to raise money? It's so perplexing because this is the vaccine they believe their dear leader got for them. And yet, so many of them don't want it. it. It really does not make any sense to me. And I think it's different things for different people. There are lots of people who are just prone to conspiratorial thinking. So you hear about magnetized vaccines. You hear about uh, it'll make you infertile. And they, they fall for that. The other side of it is that the vaccine rollout was a disaster under Trump. And it's been really pretty good under Joe Biden. So it's become... Biden wants me to get the vaccine, whether I believe it's the Trump vaccine or not, as many of them do. Biden's the guy who wants me to get it. And he says, if I get it on the 4th of July, we can have a cookout and all of this. That nope, that's Joe Biden telling me how to live my life. So I'm, I'm against that. But the hypocrisy with the non-discrimination stuff, the whole point of for many of these folks saying sexual orientation shouldn't be protected is that they say people choose their sexual orientation. Now, I don't know about you. I don't remember ever saying, I'm going to decide today to like girls. I just always knew I was heterosexual growing up. So I, it, it doesn't seem to be a choice. But if that's a choice, getting vaccinated or not is a choice. Why would we protect that? Why would we regulate and tell the government to force businesses to say, uh, regardless of vaccine status, you can come in when it's 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 a choice. It's there's no bigger choice than getting or not getting a vaccine. Yeah, I don't even know how you put the two of them together in the same sentence: vaccination and sexual orientation. I just don't yeah. see. I don't see where there's going to be an intersection of the lines. They just <laughs> they just don't seem to be ever going to cross paths. It's 
it's like talking about, you know, the difference between a grape and a watermelon. I mean, I just don't, I truly don't understand it. And, it. and your tweet really, it got me thinking. And I was trying to really figure out what the hell is going on here. Because even <laughs> after your answer, I can't. What bothers me the most, right, is the fact that these Trump supporters and Trump, of course, himself, believes that he should be the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize based upon his amazing job with the coronavirus, right? It's always about him. It's him. It's him. I should get the Nobel Peace Prize. I know more than the scientists. I this, I that. I'm so tired of his eyes already, right? But what bothers me the most is we know that there's this new Delta variant that's out there. And there we've seen, because numbers don't lie. Donald does, but numbers don't lie. And the number of people who are dying of the Delta variants of the coronavirus has spiked over the course of the past couple of weeks. But here's what facts that we know, not innuendo, not Donald Trump spouting more bullshit. Here's what we know. We know that 98% of the people who died over that course are unvaccinated, and only 2% are vaccinated. You know, that's pretty good numbers. And if you had half a brain, you'd be running off to your doctor right now to get the vaccination because it clearly works. And the rest of it, to me, just doesn't make any sense. But what bothered me is the fact that Trump refused to acknowledge that science is real, that the pandemic is real, and he watched as 607-plus thousand Americans died as a result of his incompetence and that's going to be on his soul for the rest of his life and let me let me tell you when he starts calling it the china virus it is not we need to start calling it what it is and that's the trump virus but you know as we're beginning to wind down i have just two more questions for you david right so i want to switch gears for a moment I've been reading a lot about Ron DeSantis lately. I despise Ron DeSantis. I don't know about you, but I, I fucking look at him and I, I've already broken two television sets. So I, everyone I see him now, I just click it off because I can't afford, you know, to buy a third one, right? And how he's on this like collision course to unseat Trump and claim the conservative throne for 2024. Now, do you see the possibility in this occurring? And would we be better or worse off with a DeSantis running versus a potential Trump 2024? Is the cure to Trump in, in essence now worse than the disease at this point? Yeah, I, uh, the, the con- I think that actually if you said to me the next president will be Trump or DeSantis, I think I say let's go with Trump because DeSantis is far more competent. DeSantis has a lot of the same terrible instincts. DeSantis has a lot of the same amoral and immoral values and perspectives, but he's far more competent and would be likely to get way more of those things done. Whereas with Donald Trump, a lot of the things, you know, the wall, for example, the rhetoric on the wall. Well, it just, it was never going to happen and it didn't happen. Okay. Because the follow through was simply not there. Uh, the concern with DeSantis is that it's all the bad instincts of Trump plus the ability to actually get some of this stuff implemented. Yeah. For me, I see it as a very tough call. I'm not sure which one is worse. And I'm not so sure that the incompetence is the offsetting factor to Ron DeSantis being more competent. You know, the problem though is Donald Trump, if in fact that he takes the White House in 2024. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to create a list of individuals that he wants payback 
that he just he can't help himself. That's just who Donald Trump is. And he's going to look to become an authoritarian, a dictator, a supreme leader, right? A monarch in this country. And while Ron DeSantis is, in my mind, one very fucked up human being, I'm not so <laughs> sure that he actually sees himself in that role as like the Kim Jong-un of America. And Donald Trump, though, does. So that's a really tough call. And let's just all stop for one moment and just say a prayer to whoever you pray to that neither of these two assholes end up on the 2024 <laughs> ballot, you know, for the Republican Party. So, you know, again, as you know, we're now winding down the hour. My last question to you, David, I'm curious what still keeps you up at night when you're thinking about Trump and the larger MAGA movement. Or do you feel that Trump has been marginalized by, um, you know, by his loss and is more a rambling loser, you know, than a threat at this moment in time? Or do you still worry about what he's actually capable of unleashing after listening to his latest CPAC speech? If you would, discuss this with my listeners. My concern is less about Trump and his harebrained ideas. Uh, it's about the fact that he still has so many sycophantically devoted followers, because if you remove the followers and Trump has the same ideas and the same microphone, at the end of the day, he's speaking into the microphone in an, in an empty room and nobody's listening. And so my biggest concern is there's so many wacky people that have run. There's this guy, uh, uh, Glenn Miller, who's now in prison for murder, who I interviewed 10 years ago, who would run every election cycle. And his thing was the problem is the Jews. That's crazy. But he never built a movement around it. He never had a real shot at winning anything. He did ultimately go and kill two people, which is insane. It's horrifying. But at the end of the day, Trump has the room full of people. It's actually tens of millions of people still even conservatively. And so what keeps me up at night is the fact that after all of the losses, 2018, 2020, after the COVID mishandling, after the global humiliations, that we're still talking about, could he win? When in a sane world, the answer would be, of course he can't. Sadly, the answer is he could. It's amazing. I'm so in line with that thought because it's so rare in our history, that a sitting president loses the re-election and loses it at the margin that Trump lost, despite the fact that the number of actual votes were less than what people believe, but the fact of the electoral votes was such a landslide, the same landslide that he won by. And yeah, that there's this group of sycophantic followers that will follow him over the cliff. Again, I don't believe that Trump is going to be running. I think that there are too many intervening factors right now. It's going to be the loss of his company. You see what's happening with Weisselberg now. You see what's going to be happening with Rudy, who he's throwing under the bus, removing Weisselberg as a um, director on over 30 corporations. What's going to happen when all of the loans start coming due? You know, I, I think he's got a whole slew of issues that he has to contend with. And I don't think that a presidential run is going to be on his, on his mind. Though the craziest thing that I've started hearing from friends of mine is that Don Jr. in his, whether it's his coked out stupor or his drunken you know, um, stupor, keeps talking about he wants to run now in 2024. And look... I promise you this, if Don Jr. ends up running 
for president of the United States, I'm putting my I'm putting my hat in the ring because I know exactly <laughs> I know exactly how to take Don Jr. apart. It's it's not difficult either. The same way I've been trying to tell the Democrats there are ways to take Donald Trump apart. Right. They just don't do it. They don't fight. They just don't fight hard enough. They don't fight smart enough. While I love the fact that Joe wants to be this empathetic president to all, as the president, there's a ton of responsibility sitting on your shoulders, one of which is to protect the republic, protect our democracy, and uphold our constitution. And that starts with the Justice Department. And as happy I was, as I was that he had chosen and um, appointed Merrick Garland to be our AG, Right now, I'm feeling very let down by the guy. So I'm certainly hoping that he actually steps it up and starts behaving, I hate to say it, more in the manner that Trump would have had them, that the Republicans would have had them behave, because that's the only way to put an end to the Donald Trumps, the Ron DeSantis's, the Josh Hawley's, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, the Matt Gates of the world. You really do need a Justice Department that's going to hold each and every person responsible for their own dirty deeds. And with that, David, I want to thank you for joining us on Mea Culpa. Uh, what, lastly, before I let you go, what are you doing these days? Just hosting my show. It's we we things have been uh, the we. It's a more than a full-time job. Yeah, hosting the show, 150 radio and TV stations. We've got almost a million and a half YouTube subscribers. Um, it's it's all uh, it's tying up uh, all of my time. And what's the name of the show? Tell my listeners. Maybe they want to listen to it. The David Pakman Show. Yeah, find it, davidpakman.com, P-A-K-M-A-N. All of my stuff is there. David, I wish you the best. I will speak to you very soon. If you ever need me for anything, you know where to find me. I'm on house arrest. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You got it, David. And now for today's mea culpa. Donald Trump's latest turn towards extremism reminds me of the parable I learned as a grade school student about the scorpion and the frog. For those of you who don't know the story, it goes something like this. A scorpion asks a frog to carry him over a river. The frog is afraid of being stung, but the scorpion argues that if it did so, both would sink and the scorpion would drown. The frog then agrees, but midway across the river, the scorpion does indeed sting the frog, dooming them both. When asked why, the scorpion points out that this is nature. Nobody is going to confuse me with Dr. Seuss, but it's worth pointing out the lesson here when it comes to Donald Trump, who by now doesn't know his true nature. That said, the GOP thought it could swim across the river with Trump on its shoulders and use his popular appeal and fundraising ability to bolster the party's fortunes. They could control him, they thought. He would move back towards the middle once elected. The fact that none of this happened and Trump stung his party handlers repeatedly will go down in history as one of the great political horrors of this early century. But what's worse is that despite getting stung over and over and over again, the GOP is lined up to take more abuse. The upside, they would argue, is the political power derived from Trump. But the MAGA movement is nothing like the apparatus and power built in the wake of, say, Ronald Reagan, who shared his victory and brought scores of newly minted Republicans with him for the ride. The Reagan revolution was a Republican revolution. But any attempt to make comparisons between him and Trump are simply asinine. 
Trump's power only benefits Donald Trump and those he directly shines his light upon. But that favor is conditional. It comes with strings and an oath of everlasting loyalty to the man. The MAGA revolution is ultimately about one man and one man only. It cannot scale because Trump does not want to share the light. He will never pass the baton and he wants it only for himself. What he has created is the first modern dictatorship in American history. The fact that he is out of power is irrelevant. He still has the means and capacity to inflict tremendous damage. His latest turn towards an even more extreme iteration is the most frightening version of Donald Trump to date. The GOP should have squashed him like a fucking bug when it still had the chance. Now it's too late, but history will judge those who have let him operate poorly. At the moment, that might be the best we can hope for until the MAGA fever breaks. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my mea.